we're at the good part, or at least one of the good parts of Exodus, where the children of Israel actually are leaving the exodus, the exit, uh, the going out. We've gone through the plagues, the devastation that God brought on Egypt, the enemies of God's people, and let's not forget that what we were actually observing was an incredible showdown between Pharaoh and God. Now to the, us, that's laughable. In that day and time, it was not laughable because we're reminded over and over in Exodus that the Egyptians did not know God. Uh, furthermore, we're come to the realization that the Israelites did not know God. And so to the people of that day, Pharaoh, as they understood in their ignorance, he was God, or at least the closest thing to a God. He was the most powerful man in the world. And when God appears to Moses and gives him his mission, and he goes to Pharaoh, remember Pharaoh's response was, who is God that I should obey him? Because really, in Pharaoh's mind, Pharaoh's thinking, I am God. What I say goes. My will is what is done. He commands and people obey. And so, this is a showdown. This is an ultimate showdown. And it's going to show everybody who God is. Well, after the devastation of the plagues, the Israelites are feeling extremely defeated. I don't know how any of us could ever contemplate what it would be like to be in a nation where the firstborn child of every family is dead. They all die during the final plague. Raise your hand if you're a firstborn. Everybody look around the room. You wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't be here if we were in that situation. The firstborn is dead, and so there's great mourning and sadness and grieving over the whole nation, and in many respects, probably a lot of anger. And so the people have gone out, and God does an interesting thing. The people are headed one direction, and God stops them and tells them, you're going to go camp by the sea. Now, I don't know if they understood this or not. I don't know what that meant to them. There probably were some people asking, well, why, why are we doing this? We, you know, we started this way, and now he's telling us to go that way, and why are we camping by the sea? What's up with that? But I suspect that after all the plagues, they're not in a state of mind to question God that much. And so, you want us to go camp out by the sea? Let's go camp out by the sea. And so, here's the nation of Israel and they're camping out by the sea, and there is a change of mind, a change of heart, 
that takes place with Pharaoh. And it's kind of interesting what the text tells us about that whole situation. God takes them by the sea because he says, or he's thinking, these people are not ready to come face to face with war. So evidently, on the path that they started on, they would be going into a situation where there would be opposition, there would be adversaries, they would have to fight. But now the confusing or interesting thing about the text is that it tells us that they were equipped for battle. Look at the end of verse 18. When they left Egypt, they were equipped for battle, and yet God says, no, we're not going to go that way. We're going to go over here by the sea because they're going to, I don't think they can handle battle. So what, what's going on here? It kind of makes me wonder, makes me think, especially later when Pharaoh and the Egyptians changed their mind. Now, now think about this. They're grieving and everything, and there's some anger with that grief and everything, and they're blaming the Israelites and the God of Israel on all these deaths. They're blaming them, and also think about what they've lost. They've lost a multitude of slaves. All their slaves are gone. It's just like overnight, boom, we don't have any slaves anymore. Who's going to do the work? They're not used to doing the work. The slaves do all the work. The slaves do whatever they command. And so now the slaves are gone. What are we going to do? How are we going to make it? How are we going to have crops? How are we going to... There's probably all kinds of things running through their mind. And so they have a change of mind, kind of like buyer's remorse kind of a deal. You know, what in the world? What have we, what have we done here? Look at our loss. And so they decide, we're going to go after them. No, 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 we're not going to lose our slaves. And one of the key things in the, in the passage that it tells us that really kind of got under their skin, it got in their craw, it says, and, and those Israelites, when they, let, they went out defiantly. You see that? So I just can think about all that and kind of wonder if, you know, They've been slaves for 400 years. They've cried out to God. They've seen the most incredible display of power from God through all the plagues. And now the Egyptians are begging them to leave. Here, please, get out of here. Here, let me give you, here, take my wallet, take my bank account, take my gold, my silver, whatever you want. Here, get out of here. We're sick of you people and all these plagues. Well, the Israelites, they're kind of cocky. They're going out with a high hand. You know, things are looking good. Look at this. Look at us. We, our pockets are bulging with silver and gold and money. Look what our God has done. And they think in their own minds, we're equipped for war. We can take on anything and anybody now. Uh, this is the mightiest power in the world. And we have conquered. We have won. 
Who's going to stand against us? But yet God knows these people. He knows their hearts. And he sends them to camp out by the sea. And so while they're camped out by the sea, the Pharaoh uh, changes his mind. And here he puts the army together and they're coming down on Israel. And you can just imagine at some point while they're all camped out around their fires and eating the fish and whatever else they're having for dinner and everything, and the ground starts kind of shaking, trembling. Well, what is that? Is this an earthquake? What's going on here? No, and there's a huge cloud of, of dust in the distance. What in the world? And somebody sets the alarm. It's the Egyptians. The whole stinking army is coming. This is the mightiest army in the whole world. You talk about equipped for battle, that's, the Egyptians are the one equipped for battle, not the Israelites. So what do the Israelites do? Man, they go to Moses. What have you done? Why are you bringing us here? Why? We, are, are there no graves in Egypt? Everybody knows the Egyptians were famous for their grace. <laughs> Things are looking bad. So bad, in fact, that it, apparently they have two options. We can go drown in the Red Sea or we can be slaughtered by the mightiest army in the world. And there's no other option. That's it. It's one or the other. What are we going to do? And so they're crying out, begging and pleading and crying out to God. And I love, I love what God says to Moses and what, what he says to the people. And I love what the text tells us. The Lord went before them. He did not depart from them. So listen, the Bible says they feared greatly. They cried out to the Lord. They're questioning God now. Now think about this. These people have just seen God act through the plagues. It hadn't been that long ago. We don't know the time frame of all of this exactly, but I don't think it's been a long time. Uh, Gary pointed it out to me a week or two ago, uh, kind of asked the question about how long did all this take, the, all the plagues. Uh, I don't think it was like plague one through ten, one, one a day at a time. It obviously wasn't anything like that if you look at the text. And so this has happened over time. Okay? We don't know all the time frame. We don't know the chronology of exactly when everything happened. But we do know that there is a severe lack of trust among Israel. They're afraid now. Negative thinking has set in strong. They're having panic attacks, folks. They're stressed to the max. All this stuff that we say we deal with, you know? All this stuff that we say we deal with when little things go wrong, 
Well, they got every reason in the world because they're fixing to drown or get slaughtered by the army. And so, how are they feeling? Well, there you go. How do you go so quickly from walking out of Egypt with a high hand, all cocky with a gold in your pockets, and now you're scared to death? Boom, boom. Here they are. God was right. <laughs> They're not ready for war. Nobody is organizing the troops. Nobody is saying, all right, here they come. God was with us, and, and he got us out of Egypt. He's going to be with us now. Let's go fight the Egyptians. Yeah, and we're going to have a massive battle on the coast, and we're going to win. <laughs> That's not what was going on. They are scared. They're scared out of their mind. And so, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. God is, God is like, calm down, everybody. Chill. I got this. Everything's under control. This is why I told you to go camp at the sea. This is no big surprise to me. I'm ready for this. I got your back. The Lord will fight for you. And I love this. And you only have to be silent. You know, what we got a few verses before is they're crying out, why have you done this? Why have you let this happen to us? Take us back to Egypt, all these things, you know. Boy, they're mouthy, sounds to me like. Questioning God. And, you know, I didn't look at what the message says about this, but the message might say something like, would y'all just be quiet, shut your mouth, and watch? <laughs> That's kind of what he's saying. Other translations essentially say, be calm. Calm down. What's going on in your life right now that you need these words? What's happening in your world? What are you struggling with? What are you worried about? What are your fears? What's your anxiety? What's going on with you? Well, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you, and you just need to calm down. Calm down. So God gets between them. I want you to know something. God does that for us. I wish we could see into the spirit realm. I wish we could see when angels show up. I wish we could see. I wish we knew how many times God gets between us, between us and our enemies, between us 
and the danger that we're afraid of or the things that we fear, the, the situations that have us all upset. Listen, God will go before you and God will fight for you and God will take care of you and he will protect you. That's what he does. That's who he is. And that's what, again, the book of Exodus is about. Remember, Genesis is about the one who created all this is God Almighty. And let me tell you who he is. That's Exodus. Let me tell you about this God who created everything. And he is a good, good God. And I love this. You know, you know the story. Moses, he tells Moses, raise your hands. Why did he tell Moses to raise his hand? Why did he do that? God could have parted the Red Sea without Moses, but he didn't. He used Moses. God can heal anybody without our help, but you know what? Sometimes God uses people. In fact, God often uses people. You know why I think he used Moses that day? He uses human beings to assist and help in his work. He, does he need us? No, he doesn't need us. But that, isn't that the whole point? Isn't that what Christianity is about? Isn't it about incarnation? Isn't it about God coming into the lives of men? That's what he did in Jesus. So God using people to carry out his work is a forerunner, a prophetic type or shadow of the fact that Jesus is coming. God is coming in a human body to do his work. And folks, that's what the church is for. That's what we are about. We work with God. Does God need us? No. God does not need me in the least. And he doesn't need you. But he uses us anyway because there's something beautiful about God creating us in his image and we co-work with him in his mission, his work. That's why we work. That's why we do ministry. That's why we serve. That's why we sacrifice. That's why we help. That's why we give. That's why we do in the kingdom. Because God designed it that way. And it helps to show us our worth, our value. We're created for God's purpose, for his kingdom, in his image. And I love this. Israel saw the great power of the Lord. And they feared and believed. You know... We talk about miracles a lot of times, and there's two sides of a coin to miracles I want to talk to you about, okay? I, I grew up in a, in a church environment where if anybody said God did anything, it was questioned, and somebody threw the Bible at you and said, well, if it ain't in that book, God didn't do it, or whatever. Don't believe human experiences. They're too subjective. You just can't trust what happened. You know, yeah, I know they said this. I know they said God. I, I know, I know, I know, but I don't believe all that. I just believe the Bible. I believe what the Bible says. (laughs) 
Think about it, folks. God did a lot of miracles in the Bible. God showed up. God worked. God did things. He showed up with his people. And that's what he did at the Red Sea. He showed up. He showed up. And boy, did he ever show up. They walked through a sea on dry ground. Their enemies come after them. And he just brings the flood in and destroys every last one of them. The greatest army in the face of the earth at that time, God destroyed them. Boom! All God would have had to done if he want, he didn't need the Red Sea. If he wanted to, he could have just breathed on them. If he wanted to, he could have just had the thought, and they'd all just disintegrated. That's the power of the God we serve. He can do anything. You understand me? He can do anything he wants to do. And there is no power on earth that can stand in his way or stop him or keep him from doing what he decides to do. That's the God. Now the beauty of miracles, Israel saw it. They saw the, what happened in the place. They saw the Red Sea. I saw the Red Sea part at Sight and Sound Theater in Branson, Missouri. I saw it. I was there. First hand, I'm telling you, God parted the waters. He did. And they walked through, and their enemies were defeated. So what they do? What effect did this have on them? And that's what I want you to ask yourself. God has parted the waters for you. You have walked through the waters on dry ground and God has destroyed your enemy behind you. God has destroyed sin. God has destroyed the slavery, the bondage that held you in your sin. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been set free from slavery. You are released. You are a new creation. You have all spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ. You have that. What is your response? What is your response? Listen, Israel saw the power of God. We have seen the power of Jesus Christ. We have seen the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you think parting the Red Sea is a bigger deal than me being forgiven of all my sins? No way. Don't minimize what God has done for you. Realize the power of God to save you, to forgive you. Realize the power of love, the power of grace, the majesty of God. Fear God and believe. So, the enemies are defeated. They get to the other side. What happens? There's a gospel Christian concert happens. That's what happens. Everybody starts singing. And I mean everybody starts singing. 
Everybody. And they sing the song of Moses. And man, that was a famous song for the rest of the history of Israel. All the way to the book of Revelation mentions the song of Moses. And what? In the book of Revelation, the song of Moses and what? Huh? Come on, you Bible students. The Lamb. The Lamb. The song of Moses and the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Jesus, your Lord and Savior. That's who. We don't just sing the song of Moses. We, the Lord God added another verse. He added another verse. You know why you come here every Lord's Day? The same reason songs are written to be sung more than once. We sing our songs and we sing them again and again and again and again. We come to the table again and again and again. We come to meet God here again and again and again and again because the church for centuries has established traditions and rhythms to the calendar to constantly remind us of all that God has done for us. That's why we do what we do. That's why the church does what she does. And people who want to say, throw out all the church traditions and forget about this, forget about that, they don't know what they're talking about. Because God made it that way for a reason. So we won't be like the children of Israel when the army starts coming at us we throw our faith right out the window and we start crying and begging and pleading and complaining. No. When things happen in your life that were unexpected or they're disturbing or they're frustrating or they're harmful or they're difficult or whatever it is, whatever comes into our lives, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Let's look at the song of Moses quickly, and I'm almost finished. I will look at this is good stuff. Listen to this. This is the song of Moses. These are excerpts that I've just pulled out for you. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Do you sing? Because of the glorious way that the Lord has overcome in your life? Is that why you sing? That's why we should sing. That's why we sing right there. That's why we sing those same songs. How many times has Drew led, How Great Is Our God? I think he likes it. And I love it. Because I don't get tired of singing how great God is. Do you? Let's sing it. We sing it because that's how we feel. That's what we think. That's what we believe. We have experienced God. We have seen the salvation. 
We have seen the work of God. We have seen it. And so we're going to sing. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. I will praise him. I'll exalt him. The Lord is his name, glorious in power. He shatters the enemy. In the greatness of his majesty, he overthrows our adversaries. Who is like God? Who is like our God? Nobody. He is majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds. He does all these wonders. He says, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. I love that phrase. God does all that he does because he loves you so much. He has freed you. He's redeemed you. He's bought you with the blood of Jesus. He has purchased you for his own because he loves you. He guides us in his strength. Listen to this. This is to his holy abode. You will bring them in and plant them on your holy mountain. This is the place God has chosen. This is the sanctuary. God's holy mountain is Jerusalem. That's where the temple was built. That's where they came to meet God. That's where the presence of God was to Israel. And the Lord will reign forever. We got the short version next. The summary. Miriam, the sister of Aaron, the prophetess, she takes a tambourine in her hand and all the women go out after her with tambourines and dancing. Why? Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he's thrown into the sea. We already read that, didn't we? That's the first, the very first of the Song of Moses. And we have it again. Worship the Lord. Praise the Lord. If it makes you want to dance, then you dance. If you want to shout, then you shout. If you want to sing, then you sing. Because it is in our physical bodies that we respond with rejoicing for what God has victoriously done for us. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with hearts of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds. Y'all remember the song that we sing here? Great and marvelous are your words. That's it, folks. That's it. That's the song right there. That's it. O Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your ways. O King of the nations. 
Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, and your righteous acts have been revealed. The last part of the song is so beautiful because it's telling us God is drawing us to his abode. He's bringing us home. He's bringing us to his home, his holy mountain, his sanctuary, his house. That's where God's bringing the nations. God's bringing the nations to himself. You notice when the song of Moses at the beginning, I think verse 2, notice he says, you are my God. Everybody look at that. Chapter 15, I think it's verse 2. That's the way, the beginning of the song. You, maybe it's verse 3, verse 2 or 3. You are my God. Remember how this thing has been going in Exodus? Who is the Lord? Nobody knew the Lord. Israel didn't know the Lord. Moses didn't know the Lord. Now what are they singing? You are my God. They know the Lord now. They know the Lord. How do they know the Lord? Because he has spoken, because he has revealed himself, because he has shown his great power. He has shown his might. And God will show you. God has shown us through Jesus. And we know the Lord because of all that he does for us. And so we can safely and securely sing with confidence, you are my God. You are my God.